viewers to our first episode of Indoor Voices. Today we've got Bob and Melinda Allen with Allen and Company Environmental Services. Uh, Melinda is the president and CEO, and Bob is the vice president. So it is great to have you guys with us today. Thank you so much for lending your expertise. And listen, let's just jump right in. Uh, first question, how long have you guys been doing ductwork cleaning? This started back in 1983. I was a chimney sweep here in Texas, and I was cleaning chimneys, and I had a few ladies said, uh, excuse me, but do you uh, you clean ductwork? And I said, no, ma'am, but I sure will find someone that can do it for you. So I started looking. There was nobody doing it in Texas. So I went home, and I checked my ductwork. Oh, goodness, it's dirty. And so from there, I started working on the premise of developing a system to clean ductwork. So, Melinda, you were you a chimney sweep? I started, no. I started working with the company in 1991. And uh, at first in the office, and then very soon he had me out on the trucks, actually cleaning ducks and crawling into them at, to clean them sometimes, too. So. She's a <clears throat> great vent person, I'll tell you what. <laughs> she was good. There we go. There we go. That's awesome. So, for, for Indoor Voices and for the folks out there, we're going to be drawing from you guys your expertise on HVAC cleaning, right? Because a lot of that is central to the indoor air quality. So, so biggest question that I ask a lot of folks or a lot of folks ask any HVAC person, um, how often should you have your HVAC duct work inspected and cleaned? Well, I would say after a cleaning, it's good for probably five years, but before that, because you have a new house or building built and immediately it, it gets a fine layer of dust through the system usually and, and it's dirty from the beginning. So I would say a yearly inspection in commercial and then every five years after you've had it cleaned. Unless you notice a problem. Yeah. So I know when uh, kind of brainstorming with you guys, we talked a little bit about the difference between maybe cleaning and maintenance? Is there a difference between cleaning and maintenance? Are there different approaches? Well, definitely. Um, a lot of times facilities managers are paying for a maintenance contract and, or, and homeowners too. Well, we have somebody that comes in twice a year and checks. They're there to check that the system runs, that it's in running order. Um, they don't, in our experience, they don't actually even report on whether it's clean or not. And so um, you can say, well, I've been, I've had somebody maintaining my system. How did we not know that there was mold all over it? That's just not in their wheelhouse. And so they don't necessarily bring it up. There we go. So to the pilot down a little bit, does the typical HVAC technician even understand the difference or what do they understand between cleaning and maintenance? Uh, they're not cleaning people. They're like Melinda said, they're mechanically involved, in, but they say we're going to clean it but they're not really cleaning it. They, they may vacuum <laughs> the outside of the coil at the least, but I've, we've never seen really anything that went into more depth than that. So how does a commercial facility manager or building engineer ensure the longevity of their HVAC ductwork and unit? Well, there's a lot to that. Um, one thing is regular um, is good housekeeping because the less dust there is in the area, the less that's gonna get pulled into the unit. Um, a, a very important thing is making sure that any water leaks, any kind of water damage is taken care of right away because mold growth 
immediately in 48 hours ensues upon water damage. So if that's happening, then you're pulling spores into the system. Um, and then on top of that, I would say inspection. You need to occasionally look up in the ductwork and see what's there. And definitely at least once a year, take a look at the coil and see what's there. What I would say is if you're a facility maintenance manager and someone, and you have a maintenance contract, I would ask for photographic evidence. You're gonna go in there twice a year, take a picture of the coil and show it to me. And then in residential, you can you can take a, a paper towel and wring it out and you can stick your hand up in there inside a vent and rub it and see what you come out with. Another important aspect of residential is a lot of people run their system on instead of auto, put it on run. They just turn it on to circulate air. This starts mold growth quicker than anything you're running unfiltered air through that's not dehumidified so it creates a mold problem very very quickly so if you get the ducts really cold from running the air conditioner and then you keep the fan on without the dehumidifying and the chilling of the air then you're running damp air through a cold system which creates condensation. So if there's any organic material in there that molds spores, which are ubiquitous, they're everywhere, we'll use that for a food source. And it's interesting because HVAC contractors will tell people, run it on on, keep the fan on all the time. And that may be good for some things, but it's definitely not good for the cleanliness of your system. I just had my HVAC guy come to my house and he literally just told me that. He yeah. literally oh. said, Run it on auto. I know it. They do. They do. But and, and because they're concerned about how you are feeling, you know, in the air. So when the cold air is gone and the fan's still running, you're still getting air circulation. It feels good to you. But as far as the cleanliness of the situation, which is not their concern, you know, they're concerned with do you feel cool, <clears throat> you know? Um, but that's, that's the it's problem. the worst, it's the worst thing. One of the worst things you can do is to run it on on. So there's been a ton of conversation when it comes to indoor air quality as to what type of filters you use with your, you know, HVAC system, your ductwork, um, like MERV 13 filters or carbon filters. Could you guys comment a little bit on filtration for, you know, commercial facilities? So one of the things you need to know when you're talking about filtration is not only the efficiency of the filtration, you need to know the particle size that it filters. So for instance, a screen door is 100% arrestance of ping pong balls. So you could claim this is a 100% effective filter, but you need to know particle size. You're not only wanting to filter ping pong balls, you're wanting to filter dirt and dust. So you need to know what the particle size. And just so you know, most mold spores are between 10 and 30 microns in size. So it needs to get down to at least the 30 micron size, um, preferably the 10 or the five micron. So switching gears a little bit, credentials in every industry are crucial or substantive, um, especially when you're in commercial space. Um, are there credentials that are needed uh, when cleaning ductwork systems? And what are those credentials? Oh, yes. 
Yes. So um, NADCA is a self-regulating, that's the National, Associ National Air Duct Cleaners Association, and they've worked very hard at developing standards and developing training and a certification program. And we think that's an important, um, that's an important thing because it exposes people to all of the, besides just the mechanical, how to clean the ducts, a larger picture around what it is they're doing to improve indoor air quality. However, to get a ductwork system completely clean, it has to be cleaned at the unit too. And in most states, in order to have access to both sides of the unit, the incoming and the outgoing, and to take the unit apart at all, to remove the coil, to remove the fan, you have to have an HVAC license as well. And so if someone is working without an HVAC license, either they're removing things that they don't have a license to remove, or they're not cleaning things that need to be cleaned. So you really need somebody who has both. In the state of Texas, that's the law. You have to have both. Um, I don't know what the what the regulations are in all states, but in the state of Texas, you have to have both. So a lot of times they'll take a vent down and they'll run a brush through and never touch the unit. Well, they can do that because they're not accessing or making any uh, sheet metal cuts or anything. But in order to do it correctly, and we know how to do it correctly because we did a study years ago, and that included cleaning the unit and the ductwork and showed remarkable before and after change. So, yeah, no, that's great. I think you've enhanced what most people think about just popping that thing open from like a cleaning and maintenance standpoint. So, we've, we've talked about cleaning, we've talked about maintenance, we've talked about credentials. Um, but is, is dirt the only issue? With, with HVAC systems? No. D definitely not. And um, d dirt and dust is, is annoying. Um, and you can definitely find that your housekeeping gets better once you've had your HVAC system clean. You don't have as much dust deposit everywhere. But the more, the more dangerous thing is mold. Um, that mold spores are everywhere. They're outdoors, they're indoors, but they can build up indoors. And if you have an allergy or um, a sensitivity or have an immune compromised um, system in any way, then it's possible for um, mold to actually make you sick. It's the more likely culprit in sick building syndrome or in a building related illness than any other substance. Mm. Serious business. Bob and Melinda, I know you guys have said, hey, yeah, there's dust that there's an issue and mold is also an issue. When it comes to hospitals and health and mold, can you talk to us a little bit about, about that? Well, aspergillosis, which is a, a, an infection that is caused by a specific mold, aspergillus, um, is one of the top three hospital-acquired infections. And it can be extraordinarily dangerous um, for people who have compromised immune systems. In other words, people who are sick enough to be in the hospital, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's basically everybody you know that's there. Um, and it, its dangers are that it can, it can manifest in various ways. It can get into your respiratory system, which is a very common way. But also if you don't have a compromised immune system, but you've just had a surgery, it can actually, you can get an injection, they call it um, an injection exposure, which means that it somehow gets into a place in your body where there's um, an opening. And um, so 
and can actually set up an, a site, an infection on a particular site, mm -hmm. which at some point could then become systemic as well. So it's, it's a really, it's absolutely related to the HVAC system because aspergillosis is a fairly commonly found mold, but it's one that's common in HVAC systems. So any time that um, construction, I mean, it's well-documented when hospitals are going through construction, there is a rise in aspergillosis infections. And that's because things are being disturbed. So as Bob was pointing out, the mechanical part of if you're gonna work in a hospital is really understanding the, the engineering controls for containment, for not allowing whatever it is you're working with to leave the environment in which you're working and possibly enter other areas of the hospital is extremely important. And that's where um, actual, instead of just HVAC um, or duct cleaning, it's where your actual mold um, training needs to, to come in or mold certification, because that's what's going to teach you how to contain, use engineering controls to contain those particles that could be harmful. So you guys know that mold is such a big deal, but you actually have another portion of your business where you take care of mold specifically, correct? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. We're licensed there we go. For mold remediation. And the, the story about that, if you want to hear it, is that, um, you know, Bob talked about, we did a study, we commissioned a study in what it was 1989, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and we just went to a lab and said, we want to know if our duct cleaning works because it was a new thing. Um, he'd been just doing it for a few years and he was basically making it up as he went along, but trying to be, you know, customer service is what Bob Allen is all about. So he wanted to make sure he was doing it right. And so they commissioned a study, he and his partner at the time, and just let it be up to the scientists what and how they set up the studies. And they did, they set it up, um, they did their research and found out that as far as um, sick building syndrome or building related illness, that the number one culprit seemed to be mold. So they set up the study around mold um, to see what the what mold was in the system and what the reduction might be um, when duct cleaning was done. They did a controlled um, they did a controlled experiment winter and summer so that it was running air conditioning and heat over the period of a year and with control houses and test houses and found out that in winter, I think there was a 95% reduction in mold mm -hmm. um, in the air system. And in summer, it was something like 96.7, really, really high amount of, um, of reduction in mold spores. They carried on that study beyond what they were doing for us and got it peer reviewed. And it was published in the Annals of Allergy in what, 1993? Annals of Allergy Medicine in November issue of 1993. So um, what that did for us is it made us real it really brought to our awareness that mold is an important thing that we need to look out for it also just made because people would read the study and they would call us and expect us to be um, mold experts so we kind of had to make ourselves mold experts and um that's we've that's been the only research ever done too on duct cleaning it's amazing manufacturing other manufacturers or service companies have never done research on it well the, some of them have but not peer-reviewed peer they're doing scientific they're when you have someone who's studying their own process it, there's a conflict of interest there and you can't you know even if it is a good study you can't take it seriously unless it's 
double blind and peer reviewed. So this is the only one I know of that's that's. And you had the issue of, of mold in hospitals. Um, facility managers there, I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've seen mold in the HVAC system in a hospital and they ignore it. They call it dirt, don't, don't talk about that. And they just let it go by, which I find, I can't believe a lot of times, but there was an explosion in a hospital recently outside and it shook up, rattled the ductwork and it, the ductwork was so dirty that it just spewed out dirt and stuff from it. And a ductwork in a hospital ought to be clean enough that you don't have that duct. But what happens, you have chemicals go through the system and it becomes sticky enough to start trapping dust on it. And that becomes a food source for the mold. So Melinda, I'm gonna put you on the spot for a second. Um, but you did help in writing some of the mold statutes for the state of Texas, correct? Could you take us through that project a little bit? Well, let me clarify that my words are in that, but Bob was the one who was actually invited to sit on that committee. So I wrote the documents that he brought to the committee. <laughs> <clears throat> but actually what had been happening is that our company at, at one point, we know the black mold scare that happened in the late 90s and early 2000s where people were really freaking out about mold and wanting abatement. And because we had sort of been set up as mold experts, people started calling us. And that's how we got into mold remediation. And at that time, there was no mold certification. And so our, the training that we got was um, we went to asbestos certification courses because asbestos certification knows how to contain they cannot let particles escape. And so they know how to use engineering controls and personal protective equipment to keep um, people from breathing particles and to keep particles from escaping and con controlling airflow and controlling particle flow. So we educated ourselves in that. And when insurance companies were paying for everybody who saw any, any black mold in their system, um, there were lots and lots of people that were getting, getting mold mold remediation, I'm going to put big quotes on that. And people, since it was completely unregulated, everybody who, you know, wanted to just hung a sign and said, I'm a mold remediator. And um, so what we decided to do was to hold training courses so that we could train other contractors how to do it correctly. Because what we knew is if you do it incorrectly, you're actually going to make the problem much worse. And so in developing that, we, we made, we called it mold boot camp. We had a three-day intensive course that taught um, everything from um, the, the medical side of what the problems with mold could be, what building syndrome was, what building related illnesses are, how mold acts, what it needs to grow, and therefore what it needs to be removed. We had a, a three-day boot camp that we took all over the country. We would just fly into a place and set up for three days and pe and contractors would come. We trained over 5,000 people in the United States. And what, 19, from 1999 to 2002, um, we probably trained over, we trained over 5,000 people in the United States and Canada and yep. other places too came, flew in to our courses. So when it was being discussed and we were actually, um, I did testify before the Texas um, Senate to say, we need regulation 
for mold. It was completely unregulated. And the question at the time was, well, is it necessary to regulate it? And we felt very strongly that it was necessary because people were getting ripped off financially and they were often being put in places in positions where their health was compromised. Um, and it was scare tactics that was doing that. You know, don't, I, that could be a whole nother program is the scare tactics that people use to make you think you have, you're gonna die from the mold in your bathroom. But um, getting clear about what's a danger and what's not a danger, and then making sure that the people who were setting themselves up to mitigate it were actually able to do that correctly was important. So once we testified that it was important and then the, they decided that, yes, we do need to license it, then they formed a committee of people who had been doing the work. And I already had all the written materials from having taught the course. I was the, the education and training director of the company for many years. Um, and so I had those written materials that I sent with him um, to the committee. The other thing, you know, when we talked about certification um, that I recommend is that we are ICRA accredited, which is infection, it, it's a confection, infection control accreditation that just to teach you about all the possibilities of how what we do in any sort of um, work on a building could possibly affect the occupants of the building and what to do in order to keep that from happening. And it makes it Mom, so that, like that work easily with, with the um, infection control um, people in hospitals. Because you're working with the maintenance manager, the facilities manager, who has a budget and knows what he wants done, but then it has to get by the infection control people who have their idea. If, if you ask me, the problem is the budgets aren't set up and the communication between the two departments aren't set up for the good of the patient necessarily. Um, and that's just, I don't think that's anybody's malevolence. It's just that it isn't institutionalized yet. It hasn't, it hasn't become systematized to and take that into account. Extra money's coming into hospitals and schools now with the COVID thing going on. So they're gonna be cleaning more HVAC systems, I think. No, that's a, that's a, good, that's a good transition right there, Bob. Tell us about what the last 11, 12 months has looked like for the dark work cleaning industry with, with COVID. Crazy, crazy. It's, it's been unbelievable. They've, so they're getting some extra money in. And so they are, they're cleaning their duct work in library cities. They're cleaning libraries and schools. This is probably the busiest we've ever been in all these years as far as duct cleaning. And one of the things that happened early on when the hospitals weren't prepared to handle the patient overflow um, is that some public buildings were opened up as temporary hospitals. And so they would want their ducts cleaned before they brought sick patients into them. And then when they move the COVID patients out, you know, you don't want your convention center you know, the place where a lot of COVID patients have been, you want to make sure that it's cleaned again once that, once those were closed as temporary, as temporary hospitals and opened again as public buildings, then they wanted them cleaned again. Mm -hmm. And so there's been a lot of that. A lot of activity right now. And in, especially like in food manufacturing plants and, and food handling places, if they have, um, employees that get COVID, they're having us come in and disinfect in general and often clean the duct clean the duct system before they open back up after they identify the employees that need to, 
to isolate. And that's some of the advanced equipment we use is electrostatic sprayers that actually are one side is, is a different charge than the chemical going out. So it adheres to itself better instead of just spraying stuff that just goes everywhere. It's, it's a more sophisticated piece of equipment that people should have if they're going to do this. So for instance, if yeah. you go to the grocery store and you see people spraying the carts, um, that's great, but they're, they're spraying the top, you know, of the handle, the electrostatic, causes that magnetic um, static thing that causes the particles to cling to all sides. And so you don't have to worry about getting into every corner and angle. The electrostatic um, nature of the, of the machine sort of ensures that. So you can blow that down the ductwork and it'll adhere to it all through it. So I've heard a lot about UV light within kind of the, the air handler. Does that work? Is that something you guys do? Well, UV light works on coils. If you set it up right on the coils, if it's light is sitting on the coils, it will it will work over time. It will not work if it's just in the supply where air is coming by. Melinda can explain that better. So the thing about UV light, and this is the thing about any kind of disinfectant, is you have to know the kill rate and the kill time. So um, it particles have to be exposed for about nine minutes to UV light. So infected air passing over a UV light is not being affected at all. Um, those UV ones that people are selling for you to, oh, my watch is disinfected. No, not unless you've held it under the light for nine minutes. Um, and there are different numbers of minutes for the power of the UV light, but they're all minutes long, not not nanoseconds and not seconds long. The other problem with that is just like we talked about the spraying of the carts, the UV light shines on one side. So the underside is still, um, is not disinfected. The sides, the cran nooks and crannies are not disinfected. The other thing is if there is a coating of dirt on any surface, the UV light will not penetrate the dirt. It's gonna kill the bacteria, but it's not gonna clean off the dirt. So if you're gonna put UV on your coils, you need to make sure that your coils are clean first, then you put the UV light on them. So it looks like there's already been some different practices started because of the pandemic. Do you think that people will approach commercial ductwork cleaning differently after as well when they come back to work? Hmm. It's a good question. Probably not. Until they go back to, <laughs> oh, that's not, don't say that word. That's just dirt. Uh, you know, I would hope, I would hope so. And what, but what it comes down to is money. And it comes down to uh, back to hospitals or, and I'm sure that's true of all public buildings. You have the facility managers, which have a certain budget. Then you have everybody else who has certain wants and needs and the wants and needs are not going to get taken care of unless there is a budget for those wants and needs. So until that type of thing is included in the plant in the budget planning mm -hmm. um, and that's going to be the C-suites, you know, the, the CEOs and CFOs and COOs of organizations are going to have to um, take that into account as they plan the budgets for the year. And it depends upon their willingness and what they're really willing to do. And I'll tell you, we were in a hospital, gosh, it's been like four years ago with really bad mold problem. And let's just say that it is a well-known cancer hospital um, where a lot of research is done. And they were 
quite aware that they had mold throughout the system and the infection control people really wanted it removed. The facilities managers were saying, well, we don't know. The C-suite was in on the meeting and what happened is they never were able to come to an agreement of whose department it was, of where the money was to come from, of how it was to be done. And therefore, four years later, it still hasn't been done. Still hasn't been done. And how many cancer patients, people Sad. with terribly compromised immune systems are passing through that hospital or staying for long periods of time in that hospital day after day after day. And it's because they're still fighting about the budget. See, here's what's amazing in hospitals. This blows me out. Everything in a hospital is regulated by, it's called the, what's it called? The general? The um, joint the, the commission. Joint commission is in everything. They've got their fingers on everything except the HVAC inspections. They call for no inspections, zero. I've always thought we should, we should get, go to them and, and start lobbying to get this written in. There is no, nothing on the books about inspections and HVAC systems in hospitals. Unbelievable. Wow, wow. Well, you guys have shared so much with us today. I think there is a ton for the building occupant, for the, the uh, facility manager, for the building service contractor to really, really think about when it comes to um, commercial HVAC stock cleaning along with their units. So I appreciate you guys to everybody out there watching. This is Bob and Melinda Allen of Allen uh, and Company Environmental Services. Reach out to them if you guys have any any issues with your HVAC cleaning or even mold. Thank you guys so much for being on today. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting us on our soapboxes. <laughs> if you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and subscribe. This podcast is an audio only version of the Indoor Voices interview series presented by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. You can watch the video of this interview and find other episodes at millicare.com slash indoor voices.